Hi, my name is Jeff Pagano, and thanks for tuning in to the Harpen and Rugby podcast. HarpenandRugby.net is an unofficial fan site for Leinster and Ireland rugby, with write-ups of all the big matches and regular coverage of the latest news and opinion via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course this pod. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well as a host of other platforms. Well, this week we had our final round of Lions selections with a three-strong panel, and as well as naming their 15s, we also looked at general attitudes towards the tour itself. And of course, we can never do enough giving out about the Rainbow Cup, so the four of us managed to get that in as well. Then after the chat, I finally get to name the panel's combined match day squad for the first test in Johannesburg on July 24th. So without any further ado, here's how we get on. Now it's time for our back and forward chat. And with the Lions squad announcement just around the corner, I'm going back to my selector panel one final time to see who makes their starting 15s. Last week, I spoke to my Irish panelists, and this week I have guests from England, Scotland, and Wales to weigh in. First up, making her fourth appearance on the pod is our Saracens and England correspondent. Welcome back to Debbie Nice. Good evening. How are you doing? Not too bad, and yourself? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Brilliant. Um, yeah, Saracens are on a decent run of results now. They've strung a few wins together, haven't they? Yeah, Saracens. I was talking to someone today about the Ealing situation. E- yes, Ealing beat Saracens twice in a cup, but they didn't actually really beat, beat Saracens. They played um, Saracens proper at the weekend. Mm-hmm. And as rightly so, you know, there were Lions and England players and a South African World Cup winner. Um, they didn't have it all their own way in the scrum. Mm. Um but they should be they should be winning these games in the championship by that sort of margin. They really should. Yeah. And what's the latest on um, you, on fans being able to get back and watch them live? Well, we're thinking we've got um, the semi final of the um, the women's uh, competition on the twenty second of May, um, and I think we're hoping that there, there's going to be a crowd for that. But it will be on a ballot basis. We do okay. have more than more than one season ticket holder. <laughs> <laughs> Which people don't seem to understand. But yeah, I, I think that once we get that weekend of the 22nd, we'll start to see fans tr- trickling back into stadiums. The, cho- the chosen few. Well, that, that, that'll be, that's great to see. I hope, hope, hope it does happen for you soon. Okay, well, so now on to our second panellist, who is also winning his fourth cap. He's a host of his own YouTube podcast, as well as the Welsh Rugby Roundup show on the Three Bond Rugby Network. It's none other than our Ospreys and Wales correspondent, Brandon Smith. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Always fun to come on and uh, chat rugby. Indeed. And uh, it's a nice win for the Ospreys to kick off the old Rainbow Cup over the weekend. It is good. It's fun to beat the Blues, obviously, but how much does it truly mean as a competition? I'm not too sure, but good to see some youngsters given a chance and taking the opportunity as well. Definitely. And is there any word on fans getting back over there? Not so much. There was a survey actually put out this morning by Ospreys about season tickets for next season, about what fans would like to see. So maybe a few rumours going on, but nothing before the new season. I, I highly doubt that we'll see fans at the Liberty before then. OK, OK. And um, finally, we have our Scottish um, panellist. Now, for our first two rounds, we had Mr Sandy Smith, also known as the Birdwatch. Uh, on Twitter, but unfortunately he was unable to join us this evening. So in the Grand Lions tradition, we needed someone back home to answer the call and hop on a plane to join us for the rest of the tour. So earning a second cap on the pod is our Glasgow Warriors correspondent, Mr. David Arnott. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for stepping in. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Now, um, I think a bit like myself, uh, you might not want to talk about uh, the first round of the Rainbow Cup so much, but it's a stupid competition anyway, isn't it? Please don't make me talk. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and is there any word about getting back to Scottstown anytime soon? After sat after Saturday, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's been nothing so far. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't see us being in before what September. The new season will probably kick off, so I can't. I can't see it being before then. Yeah, we got our Leinster rugby season ticket holder email today as well. So I think they're all. I think the general vibe is to just to get get people in for next season it's a shame because i mean i'm sure i'm sure in clubs in, over in over your side of the water as well there's so it's even the thing about there's loads of players retiring um you know we've got scott farty michael bent over here leaving and uh, monster have a load of uh, legends leaving as well and they just to get in just a few fans to get in and say goodbye it'd be be nice to do it one more time that'd be one positive element out of the rainbow cup for one thing and even if there's a championship with no promotion you'd have a, a good reason to to get back but uh, sure that's 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 the way these things work out if we can get if we have rugby in september we could be guaranteed that that'd be great wouldn't it so hopefully hopefully that's what's going to happen 
Okay. So anyway, the reason I have these on, like I said, is to um, give you some Lions uh, selections. You've all picked a 15, one last 15 before the, the team is announced. We're going to do it in a kind of the same format we did last week. I'll go to you. Um, we broke, broke up the 15 into uh, three groups and uh, we'll, go, we'll go through them uh, one at a time. So we're going to start with the back three and the wingers and uh, kicking us off is going to be Debbie. So who have you got? I haven't changed actually from our last discussion. That's um, allowed. I haven't really seen anything that's made me want to change. Although I'm picking Stuart Hogg at 15. Um, and in what was a, an absolutely fantastic game of Premiership rugby on Friday between Bristol and Exeter, um, he was he was very quiet actually. I, I almost forgot he was there. Um, but I think that's because it was probably a forwards dominated game. But sticking with Stuart Hogg, um, I have to go with. Louis Rees-Samit at 14. I think it will be a tough ask for him, but he's a lad that you can't leave out for me. Mm. Um, experience in the centres, Jonathan Davies at 13. And I think Robbie Henshaw had a fantastic Six Nations. I don't know how he's carrying on at club level, but he gets in at 12 for me. He's, get, he's getting by. Okay. And a, <laughs> and, a bit, and a bit of grit on the other wing, being Liam Williams. Um, mm -hmm. I think you need a bit of nasty on the wing. Um, and Liam can have that. And another great guy under a high ball. So those are my five at the back. That's very, very good. Um, so next up, we've got uh, David. Who have you got there? Uh, I'm going to go with Hogg at 15 as well. Mm -hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. I think he's been starting a standout in Premiership and uh, in the Six Nations this year. Uh, I'm going to go Reese Zamet on the wing as well at 14. Again, Cracking Six Nations. He's a he's he's got real talent, uh, fantastic pace as well. I think he could do a, a great job out there. Controversial. I'm going to go Chris Harris at 13. I think he had an outstanding Six Nations. Showed what a great player he is. Um, defensively superb and against the box that could be huge. Uh, partnering him with Henshaw. Obvious reasons. Don't even need to explain it to be quite honest. Um, and finally, I'm going to match South African Mike with South African Mike and go for Duhan van der Merve. That's uh, Six Nations top try scorer. Offers something a little bit different. Uh, always will get you go forward ball if you can get it to him. Uh, that's that's my backline. Yeah, definitely. What would I say about uh, Duhan was uh, that that Scotland England game uh, in the Six Nations? It, it didn't. I, I felt. The, the, the missing piece of the puzzle was I mean, you were camped on their line for a long time early mm -hmm. on and you weren't going to try. And I was like, it was, it was almost, I thought they'd forgotten they had this big guy out in the wing. And when they finally got it out to him, yes. that's, that's, that's when they, 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 they broke the seal. And I think they they just starting to use him for his full potential. Yeah. He's, he's an absolute wrecking ball. And if you can get the ball to him, you can guarantee you'll go forward. Mm. Definitely, and he's uh, yeah, he's, de he's he's definitely someone that that uh, in with the shout of getting on the plane. Anyway, okay, that's great. Now, Brandon, onto yourself. Well, I've gone for a fairly similar team to uh, the two other panelists. Uh, Hogg at fifteen for me, one of the best fullbacks in the world, absolutely outstanding, and grew into the role of the captain over the Six Nations. Uh, at fourteen, I've gone with Duan Van der Merwe as well, um, an absolute powerhouse. Offers something a little bit different to my other winger that we'll get to in a second. And as uh, David said, top try scorer in the Six Nations, you can't ignore that. In the centres, I've gone for an Irish contingency of Ringrose and Henshaw. Uh, Ringrose is questionable, but Henshaw has to start, in my opinion, best centre in his position in the world right now. And against England was one of the best offensive displays I've seen from a centre in my life. I thought he was that good. And then on the opposite wing, I've gone with Louis Rees Summit. Being Welsh, I had to put him in, but he's been absolutely insane for Wales and for Gloucester as well. And Gloucester really struggled this season, although they've picked up a little bit recently. Um, I think he's plays with a maturity beyond his years and, and backs himself, which sometimes you need that little bit of a spark. Definitely. Yeah, my thing about Ringrose was that, um, uh, well, for one thing, he before this season, he never really got injured. and uh, But this season, he just, he, and it, he, he, 
he doesn't, he hasn't been getting conventional injuries. He, he got a, he got a, an Italian uh, was completing a kick and got him in the chin with the follow through. And that, that put him out for weeks. And then he did, he had another injury again. He's only just coming back. He hasn't had the run of games, but overall for, for Ireland and Leinster, it, it was like, he's a, he's a talented footballer and he's a natural kind of brain. He could easily slot in at out half, I think, uh, if they needed him there. But they never, it, it's almost like they were taking him for granted. They don't use him. You don't see him employed in the the overall strategy. He's always mopping up situations and he's run, you know, picks up a loose ball, runs against the grain and makes, gets, gets it back on the front foot that way, which is good in itself. But I always feel, God, if you actually used him to his full potential and, and created a thing around him. And I thought maybe the Lions might've been an atmosphere where he could do that. And especially if he'd Henshaw, it was the Henshaw and Ringrose pairing. They'd gotten so used to each other's game. So it was a, it's a, it's a good shout for that. But like you say, because the, the injuries have kind of held him back this season. Other people have gotten game time and you've got Davies there as well with his experience and Gatlin and all that kind of stuff. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that, um, that, that pairing is, because I mean, I think it's pretty much a consensus now that Henshaw has got that 12, but you wouldn't, of course you wouldn't put past Gatlin to pick him and have him at 13. He could do all sorts of things with him. So you'll never know, but um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's great so far. Um, now moving on to the um, halfbacks and the front row. Not usually a, a combination you take in the same breath, but that's just how the, the numbers uh, divvied up. Um, and we're going to, I think it is David for his uh, for his selections there. Uh, 10, I'm going to go with the magician Finn Russell. I think he offers something, well, actually he offers something like anybody, unlike anybody else in the entire world, to be quite honest with you. Um, do I necessarily think that's where he'll go? I don't know. I think he might go with bigger, but it's my team, so hell with it. I'm picking him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to put him beside Connor Murray at nine. I think Murray's come on to it. He kind of lost a lot of his magic. He's come back onto it lately. Um, I think of the of the home nines that you look at, he's by far the most experienced, and certainly in the lines. Um, and I think he offers the, the, the overall package that they'd be looking for. Um, one, I'm going to go with Wynn Jones. Great Six Nations again, really coming on as a player. Two, you know, I struggled at hooker, to be quite honest with you. I've ended up going with Jamie George. Um, I think it's been a, it's been a, it hasn't been a great Six Nations in time for hookers, really, has it? Scotland, Scott, well, we had two injured and one that couldn't throw a ball straight, so... Um, unless you want to take Dave Cherry with you. Mm. Um, you know, Ireland weren't great. Wales weren't great. Although Owens is probably a decent shout. So, yeah, I've gone with Jimmy George purely on the basis that he was there the last time. He's experienced. And at the other side, I've gone with uh, Tad Furlong because anybody that can step Russell and uh, half the rest of the Scotland team's got to be there. Twinkle toes, yeah. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Okay, no, that's good. Um, the next up is uh, Brandon. Well, at ten, I've gone with Dan Big, and I'm not just saying him because I'm Welsh, but I thought no, he you was don't have to say that every time. They're the Six Nations champions, Brandon. You, you're allowed to pick a few. Well, of course, as Welsh, we're always under underdogs <laughs> to an extent, and everyone's yeah. like, uh, you know, but and Gatland has this history of picking just Welsh players, but. I think Bigger over the last few weeks has been absolutely brilliant. Uh, last game he played for Northampton was out of this world. I did pick Sexton last time, but his injuries are really concerning me at this point. And uh, if he gets a knock, even in training, you know, you, you just don't back him to be able to come back. So I put Bigger at 10. At 9, I'll go with Conor Murray, I think, for that little bit more of experience. And as David says, he's getting back to his best to an extent. He's got a good try against Leinster. Uh, sorry to remind you, Jeff. Okay, um, okay. <laughs> then in the front row, I've gone with Wynne Jones as well. Uh, one of our best performers in the Six Nations. Come on, leaps and bounds. Ken Owens in the hooker. Very close with Luke Cowan Dickey. Thought he came off the bench and had a good Six Nations ring when he came off. And then uh, Furlong has to go in there. I think the ability to be able to play in the loose is going to be really important for us. So uh, Furlong is in the front row as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it was interesting how um, you were saying you couldn't settle on a hooker, 
back in December when we picked the teams then, um, like George was pretty much nailed on then. And the opposite was to be said about Scrum Half. We hadn't a clue about Scrum Half. We were uncertain about Murray. Um, and there was like, there was loads. There were some players that weren't even in the Six Nations. Reese Webb got a call, got a, got a shout from someone and that wouldn't have been crazy. John Cooney didn't even make the didn't make the Six Nations of like that. There was loads in the mix. But as you say, Murray kind of played his way in. Um, you know, he got back, he got some regular games. He, you know, he came back from his injury. He was getting back to his form. And he's got the relationship with Gatlin as well uh, from previous tours. So, so it ends up a good shout. Um, okay, over to you, Debbie. I, I, I've struggled with nine and 10 all the way through. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm still struggling, actually. My heart says Finn Russell. But my head has gone back to Owen Farrell, actually, um, having kind of discounted him. Um, I think he's an incredible competitor. Um, he's getting some form back, albeit in the championship. I, so I'm going to go with Owen Farrell. Nine, I've, I think we have a real issue in, in the Northern Hemisphere, apart from if you're French, at nine. Um, but Connor Murray stands out but I, I'd pick him reluctantly to be honest mm. I just wish there was I would just wish we had a an Anthony Bridge that we could pick in nine at nine but we don't um yeah. in the front row I think Wynne Jones slash Mako I think I think Mako does outrageous things with the ball in hand we want him there for his scrummaging, so I think we have to go with Gwyn Jones. Um, Jamie George, I'm back to him at two. And Tad Furlong's got to be there, hasn't he? Mm. He's nailed on at three for me. He was That, that sidestep was just a thing of beauty, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I mean, what the thing, the only, like we say about the Saracens players, is are they getting enough rugby? Um, do they, they also... They would have been in Warren's plans to begin with, and he's the kind of manager who kind of knows what he wants ahead of time. But now, Bigger wasn't in the equation at all um, back again back in December, but he's 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 kind of played his way in there, um, and he's kind of risen above. And I totally agree with what you're saying on Sexton. Um, uh, you know, I've been talking a lot more about Ross Byrne lately for Leinster, and thankfully he's been doing the job. But I've been, you know, I've been saying positive things about him. But it's more like he's the guy we're relying on more. And again, this weekend Sexton's out again for for our semi final at the weekend, so we're relying on Ross Byrne again. So that's that's the way it is. And if he if he can't make the tour, that's the you know you, you can you can see that happening. So it's who's going to step in for him. And um, you've got like we say three different. We've got bigger Russell and Farrell here, and you, none of them. Would surprise you if, if Warren if Warren went for them. So we'll, we'll see we'll see how that goes. Okay, so that's the um, that's the middle order there. So we're going to move on to the um, the second row and the back row. And uh, starting us for that is Brandon. Well, uh, I I really struggled with this. Um, obviously, one player is going to go in straight away, and we all know who that's going to be. Hmm. In the four jersey, it's between two players. I'm really struggling. It's between Byrne and Itoje. And what you said about the Saris thing is very true. And that's why I can't put someone like Jamie George in my team and Farrell in my team. Plus, I don't particularly think they're good Six Nations. But but Byrne was so good. But Itoje, I think by the end of the Six Nations, was showing what he can do. I think Gatlin will go Itoje. I think I'm going to go Itoje as well. So I'm just going to completely contradict what I've just said. But mm. there you go. Uh, I, I'm going to put Itoje in. I think at the uh, driving mall, he's going to be an absolute menace. He's going to be a menace around the breakdown. He's going to get in Faf's face. That's going to be an interesting battle. I'm sure a few things will be said between them two. Um, we saw what he did to Ali Price in that first game. And I'm sure he'll be targeting him uh, in this one. Alongside him, then obviously, Alan Wynne-Jones, captain, God in Wales, I'll build him a statue when he retires, all that kind of thing. Um, and then my back row, I've gone Navidi, but I'm not sure. But I have gone Navidi. Again, I think Gatlin, I'm thinking what Gatlin will pick as well. So Navidi, as six, what he does around the breakdown, the dirty work that he does. We need to slow that South African ball down and we need to uh, stop their forward momentum. So I think Navidi in there. Hamish Watson at seven. Uh, best player in the Six Nations, absolutely incredible. This talk of him being too slow is a load of rubbish. If you're, you know, it, the work that he does around is very different to what the other sevens offer, and I think he has to start. And then at eight, 
Um, I've gone with Falatau, but very close to Falatau, I went with Sam Simmons. I think he's been brilliant this Six Nations, uh, sorry, over the course of the Premiership. And against Bristol on Friday night, he was out of this world, out of this world. And uh, I've heard reports that Gatland has sent letters to a few players who are maybe fringe players. And according to reports, uh, Sam Simmons is one of them players. But I think Falatau will start, but Sam Simmons pushing him pretty close. Very good. Um, yeah, no, that's that's that, that's very good shouts all around there. Um, what, do you, what have you got, Debbie? I'm, I'm going to be saying much the same things, actually, apart from the fact that I, I'm not questioning Maro Itojo being involved <laughs> at all. You know, he, he, was a, he was just fantastic on Sunday. Um, he's a world-class um, second row. And you don't lose that. I think England were just awful in the Six Nations. But he hasn't lost the class that he possesses. He's an amazing athlete and an amazing rugby player. Um, Alan Winjoes will be my captain, but I'm I'm not sure that I wouldn't want James Ryan starting at five. Um, but like Alan Winjoes will start because I think he'll be captain. But mm. I, I would be tempted by James Ryan um, at six. I'm trying to get CJ Stander and Falatel both in the same team. Mm. <laughs> and I'm not sure that he'll pick Stander. In which case, if he doesn't pick him at six, I would pick Tom Curry. I think out of the England players, he did have a very good game. Um, seven, that's one position where we do have fantastic players, don't we, in the Northern Hemisphere. And I've gone Welsh there. I've, I've written down Justin Tipper at Hamish Watson. Um, again, I think Tipperick brings a bit of grit. Not saying that Watson doesn't, and mm. he's really outstanding in the Six Nations. So I'm torn there. And the same as Brandon, I've got Falatau, but I've also put slash Sam Simmons. Sam Simmons on Friday was just incredible against Bristol. I mean, I actually, and I, and I know you don't build a team around one man because he can get sent off or he can get injured. But if he does, for me, if he doesn't fit Eddie Jones' game plan, change your game plan. Because that, that man's got to be playing for England. Mm. He's an absolutely outstanding rugby player. So a bit little, I've not really gone certain for any position other than four there, have I really? Well, it's a, it's a tricky one. I mean, they're all tricky. I mean, like, again, going back to December, we were all saying it was a Toji Ryan. And that was almost like a dream uh, second row pairing that they, they were both at the right ages they're both at the right stage of their career they could have learned off each other and just to see the two of them on the same pitch um what i what i like about Atoji and i think it's going to work for this series it's you know never mind his on top of all his skill on top of the on the way he reads a game it's it's his the gesticulation the the um at line outs like come on throw it in and stuff like that and the, those little fine margins in a, in, a, in a tight test match when you're putting the pressure on players put pressure on the opposition. I mean, we're going to be getting that from the spring box as well. So he can give it back in spades and there's going to be a lot of tension there. You kind of need that kind of personality um, on the pitch and he can definitely offer that. So that'd be good for there. Um, in terms of Simmons, I mean, you know, I, I suppose I wouldn't be the biggest Eddie Jones fan in the world. So if, if um, Warren Gatlin picked Simmons and, and um, which would sort of be a sort of, sort of almost two fingers up to Eddie Jones, especially if Sam Simmons goes on and does well. Um, but it's like, so what? It's like, you know, if you need him and he's playing well and he's in form and he's and he'll fit into your lineup, put him in there. And uh, he'll have plenty of time to impress in the warm-up games. And who knows, by the time the tests come around, he could be there ahead of Falatel um, in the pecking order. So I, he's definitely someone you want to find a way to get on the plane, like Debbie said. Okay, um, now, David, so we've, we've got your selections to, to round it off. Uh, well, I've gone for Itoji because everybody needs a wind-up matching. Don't get me wrong, he is class, but yeah, you stole my thunder, basically. I, I, I think it was a big point. <laughs> ah, you're all right. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he is class, um, but he gives you that little bit of edge that I think could, could prove to be key. Um, putting beside the old stager, um, Alan Wynne-Jones, uh, as a the partnership, I think it worked well the last time. I think it will work well this time. To be fair, I think you could put anybody beside Alan Wynne Jones and it would work well. Uh, I've gone for Bern. Uh, he's a class operator. He, he he really is. That's that's all you can say about him. I've gone for everybody's favourite uh, 
mullet at number seven. The mesh, because you can't be you can't be played at the tournament and not make that squad. You know, he don't I don't care what anybody says about his size and his height and whatnot. He will batter people. He will make the yards every single time and he'll just get up and do it again and again and again. And he very, very, very rarely misses a tackle. And at eight, Simmons is good, but I think he'll go farther too because he'll go tried and trusted. He knows what he's getting. He knows he's getting nothing short of 100%. He knows he can do it at international level. I think he'll go with him every single time. Mm. Yeah, um, just on Tyg Byrne, I mean, it's it's amazing to hear um, a panel like this in particular um, using his name because, I mean, I remember um, watching him play for the Leinster A-team as he was just coming up. And, he, you know, I, I'd go watch the prospects uh, play for the A-team. And um, he was, you know, he, he was he was good. He was solid. He was going to make it. But it was, it was at a time when Leinster had a ton of options in, in that position. And I think what happened with him, he... I think they do offer them. If offers come in from elsewhere to go elsewhere, like Scarlets or other teams like that, they don't always take them because they want to stay and fight for their place. But fair play to him. He wanted to improve himself, and he went over with Scarlets. And boy, did he get noticed when he got over there. He played his way into contention. He played his way all the way to a league title there. But um, so he came. then he came back to Munster and did it there, and he was just growing his way into it. And now we're at a stage where not only Irish fans – are, are noticing him. This Six Nations, he came to the fore and pretty, pretty much everyone from all the Six Nations are talking about him. They know his name, know his recognition. So we can consider where he started, where he was essentially let go by Leinster. Leinster what do they call it? A Leinster reject, which isn't what he was, but essentially he, 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 went, he went a different path let's put it that way, and um, to come back and be such a success and to be in Lions, Lions talk at this stage. It's just incredible. And he was incredible again. No mind saying it at the weekend. Um, I thought actually he should have been man of the match myself. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's great. It's great to see him. Um, great to see him doing well, considering how his career's gone. All right. Well, that's brilliant. He's all um, put together great 15s there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take all those and put them into my fancy computer. And it's going to jumble up all the names. And uh, I've had three selections from last week. Um, but uh, we're going to see how many votes are cast in each position. I'm going to, if there's any ties, I'll break them myself and we'll come up with, I'll have a match day squad, which we'll hear at the end of the podcast. Um, once, once I've done all that extra work. So thanks again to all of you for doing that. So just, just before we, um, you know, we'll, we'll chat a bit more about the tour itself, like how we're feeling about it. It doesn't look like the fans are going to be able to travel, uh, which is always a shame, shame not to see the lion's army go over, but it's really not a great surprise. I mean, um, there was talk of all these other ways that the, the tour could have happened, uh, being travel here, there was Australia and all this kind of stuff. But how are we, um, I'll start with you, Debbie, how are we feeling about this tour compared to other years? Is it, would, would we have the same levels of interest or what, what way are you set up for this tour? I'm going to be a little bit controversial here, I think. Um, in the same way that I look at the Rainbow Cup, um, we're, meant, we're meant to be talking about player welfare at the moment. And in a very full calendar, why is the Rainbow Cup happening? One, I'll say. I know, I know that the Lions is the pinnacle of a career, but it's an amateur tour, basically, isn't it? Should it be happening this year? Um, I'm not convinced it should be. I think the TV audience will be enormous. So it's a real shame that the 40,000 travelling fans are not going to be able to go. But I think anyone that thought that they were going must have been crazy. I think South Africa will be still be on our red list. I hope that our boys go and shine and beat South Africa. But I, but I, I wonder if in time it, this becomes a luxury that rugby can't afford. Yeah, the, well, the debate was there anyway, wasn't it? I mean, even before there was ever COVID on the radar, I mean, every four years it was getting stronger. Like, is is there, you'd see articles, is there a point? Is, is, that, is, is there a, does it belong in the calendar that's ever shifting? And, a, a, you know, maybe a bit of a messy European calendar as well that um, that needed cleaning up in itself. You had one tour where you had the Premiership final a week before 
everyone traveled and things, messy little things like that, that, that just made it harder to do. And they're condensing the tour. There's fewer matches and stuff. It's just, um, I don't know. It, it, it's great to have all of us who have seen, who have been following them for every four years going way back. And we hear all the stories, the, the, the Ian McGeekin, uh, Willie John McBride and all those, the 74 tour and all that stuff. Um, it's, it's great to see that being continued. But like you say, it's kind of an it's an amateur it's one of the relics from the amateur days that's just hard to fit in to the pro framework. Uh, what do you think, David? Um, I think there's still a place for it. I don't think there's a place for the Evil Cup, but there's a place <laughs> for it, especially after Saturday. Um, I think there's a place for it. I, I, I certainly am a lot more interested this year. I think we're gonna, from a Scots point of view, I think we're gonna have a bit more um, in the way of players on the tour. Um, at least play. We're at least talking about players in contention this year. Um, we never had that for the previous couple of years. It was Russell at best. Hogg was going. That was it. So, you know, from a Scots point of view, there's actually players that could go and could start as well. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to it. It's going to be a shame not that there's no fans there. But uh, I think once the once the games get started. Um, and we start to see the team shaping up and I hate to say it but you know once you start to see injuries and you see other players flying out and people making a name for themselves uh, you'll get wrapped up in it uh, without without a, a doubt those who those who necessarily aren't interested will start to really get wrapped up in it once you, you see you know the Corey Hills of this world getting called up to go uh, you know pe- people people will spark debate and yeah, there's, there's nothing like it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I mean, there is that in that the, um, when you look at the calendar, there's, you've got you got this top level rugby going all the way into August as well. So it's like the, the season get that much longer. I mean, it's true about the player welfare. Um, you just hope that, you know, there's things put in place so that they don't just come straight off the plane into preseason training again, that there's allowances made. You Maybe you won't see them maybe till the end of September um, playing again for the new season. But that's not that, that doesn't speak well for the clubs they're going to as well. It's not kind of not fair to them either. But still, there's, you know, to get the tour done, if they, if they wanted to get it done, and um, it, it's, I suppose this is the only way they have to do it. What do you think, Brendan? I think it's a massive shame that fans aren't going to be involved, obviously, but... I'm so glad it is going ahead because it being in Australia wouldn't have made sense. Being in Britain wouldn't have made sense. And obviously they weren't going to postpone it for another year due to the financial uh, laws and all that kind of jazz. But I'm really looking forward to it. And I think, as David said, there'll be some decent representation from each of the nations. And I think the Lions will go as favourites. And it's going to be tough to know where South Africa will be at because obviously they haven't played since the 2019 Rugby World Cup. There's rumours that they're going to play against, um, who is it, as a motorbike drives past loudly. Uh, I thought that was my uh, stomach. I'm a bit hungry. <laughs> uh, I think it's the USA, isn't it? And I don't know how yeah. much test that truly would be for them. But I think we do go in as favourites. And as David said, once it gets going, We'll all be wrapped up in it. And the other big thing is it's at a decent time for us as well. Um, all the games will kick off at a decent time. We'll have to get up at five in the morning to watch the matches. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, that, that's always the way, isn't it? I mean, we talk about whether the game matters or not. Sure, I mean, even what we're saying about the Rainbow Cup, you know, last week I had Irish people on, we're saying, oh, we don't care about it, don't care about it. But um, when, when the match kicked off, and especially when it was Leinster against Munster, um, you know, you're, you're, you're invested because there's there's rugby on your teams playing. There's 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 players out there you want to see uh, going at it. So so if that's the way it was for that competition, you know when it comes to the Lions, we'll, we'll all be invested when it comes around. But I suppose the debate will always rear its ugly head as well when we're out of COVID, when we're back to whatever normal um, schedules it is. Um, you know, just fitting it into the season, I suppose, would be the challenge. Um, yeah, just on the Rainbow Cup, let's just let's just finish on this. I mean, it's a nothing competition, uh, which is pretty much the way everyone sees it. Um, it the, the only, the value of it really only seems to be just basically money. Um, the South, South African Union were offering, um, we're offering money to join the league. It's, it's a big decision for them. I don't understand the full ins and outs. I'm hoping to have some South Africans on the show next week to maybe uh, thrash out what exactly happened in there because we had the Cheetahs and the, um, well, the Southern Kings, but the yeah. Cheetahs were really, were, were competing um, for a couple of years. You know, they did, they, they, 
they were getting some results and putting in some performances. And then they just brushed them aside and put four other teams in forwards. It seemed a bit unfair on, on the Cheetahs in particular. Uh, but whatever way they want to do it, I mean, you, you, you get excited about those teams playing, but they I think they had to sort of hash something together at the end of the season just to get them some rugby before the Lions came down. And then, but I think we all knew that it wasn't going to, it wasn't really going to pan out. And the way they released the fixtures, I mean, what it, what, what did you make of it, David? I think it's a shambles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they built it up and they built it up. And I mean, Premier Sports were still building it up the week before. And then where are we now? We're playing week where we're getting pumped up, Benetton. Uh, you know, we're going back to play Edinburgh a couple of times. We're not going to see any of these South African uh, teams. And we finished the season early for this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a mess. I understand the money. I understand trying to get them some game time. That's all fair enough. But it doesn't really... You know, even if we were, we'd won on Saturday, it still doesn't hold any great interest for me, to be quite honest with mm-hmm. you. What, what do we let... Well, Actually, we learned quite a lot playing Benetton, but hey um, But what what do we realistically learn by playing the same teams that we've played all season again? Mm, yeah, yeah, it's it's. It, I mean, from a yeah, from a from a competition standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And when they changed the format and when they cut the season short like that, that that does annoy me now. I as mm-hmm. far, my my thing is when you start a competition with rules, uh, with a format a certain way, you got to stick to it. And basically, by cutting off the playoffs, and they hurt Ulster more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. I think if Ulster had come out, they, Ulster won 14 out of 16 matches. And if they'd, um, they would have given Munster a decent fight, even at Thelman Park in a semi final there. And I think they deserve the chance to at least play play that match. But when you, when you cut a season short, um, it saved them two weeks, just two weeks on the calendar. They could have still, they could have kept the playoff format. He even have an even shorter Rainbow Cup. I don't think anyone would have. Would have complained four weeks, six weeks. What you know? What's the difference? And um, and still, still gotten something played. Um, you know, for for them it doesn't really matter. But sure, that's that's where we are. Um, just Debbie, I was one one crazy notion I had a while ago when it didn't look like I I pretty much knew the South African teams weren't going to be able to travel because they're having problems there with vaccines and variants and all sorts of things down there. I thought maybe for a while there would have been great to instead of having the the South African teams, maybe the championship clubs could have, could have, they could have had a competition there to fill in those weeks, and uh, just an excuse to get Leinster Saracens playing each other again. That would have been something interesting. But like, I suppose it must. I mean, the, this Rainbow Cup must seem strange to you over over in England, anyway. Yeah, it, I, as I say, it just seems we're putting. I mean, I seem to think the reason for it was so that Munster and Leinster fans would have a really nasty argument with each other on Facebook. Oh Jesus. We don't need, to, I tell you, we don't need a rainbow cup for that. It was pretty bad at the weekend. Um, yeah, was I, I wasn't sure what I was allowed to say because apparently if we brought up the fact that Leinster had a weekend team and Munster had a full team, we weren't allowed to say that. So, um, but there, there was there was banter going and it was, yeah. well, it was over beyond banter. More than banter. Going back, back and forth. Uh, I just switched off Twitter after the game, which, but I usually end up, that's the one game. I've never had to ban anyone from a Facebook page uh, only Except for after that game, yeah, you know, I'm sure. Munster, I've never had to do it any other time, and just, it wasn't I, always Munster fans either. I just think to ask these guys that have been living in a bubble, and and it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'll be watching the Lions. I'm not saying I won't be engaged in watching it, and I need to throw Ryan Baird's name back in again before we finish. Um, to, you know, they've been living in bubbles, which is not a pleasant thing. We're asking them to put their bodies at risk for what? like a, a, a number of pointless games I just you know don't don't say that you've got the players welfare in mind and then bring up another pointless competition for them let them spend some time at home with their families you know and right. getting getting their bodies right these, these men are going to be living with crippled bodies it seems to me as it is when you've got an opportunity for them to have a bit of a rest give them that bit of a rest for me I, I, I don't get it I'm afraid it, as I say it's money isn't it yeah, it was a miss. I mean, it was just a way of getting the South Africans in, and South Africans are coming with money. Um, and you know, the Celtic League always needs that money if they're going to keep up with um, the the top fourteen in the Premiership in terms of like you know attracting players and stuff. I mean, you know, bringing the South Africans in and be it'd be a good thing in the long run, I think. Um, and I look forward to it happening. I just 
I, my problem with it was it was the the announcements. It's like you like you said, David. They announced it. They like Premier Sports. They ran ads. They had logos. They had rainbows. All, every rainbow metaphor, pardon the pun again, under the sun was being used um, to 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 explain the competition. I, I I'm a rainbow pun free zone uh, on the website. I just won't do that anymore. That's all. They've all been done. They've all been done to death. Um, but it's um, but they, they, there was never the definitive. Okay, let's see some fixtures. It's like mm. it's the beginning. It's we're March. It's March. We haven't seen any matches, and then they release some matches, but then they've got to change it again. It's just I understand they were trying stuff. There's a bit of pushback on Twitter from the people on that as well, saying, "Well, at least they tried to get the competition going." But just from a general, wider public standpoint, it's uh, you know we're we're hard kind of hardcore rugby fans talking now, but from the wider public it just looks silly there's there's matches there's not matches they're playing they're not playing it was it it was uh, it was it was kind of all over the place so, it's, so it doesn't look good in that regard but uh, hopefully you know we're, we're not going to be talking about the rainbow cup ever again after this uh, you know when it's when it, it'll come it'll go there's someone's going to lift a trophy there's going to be award ceremonies and that's that it that's all going to happen but afterwards we're just we're just not really going to care, are we? But hopefully next season, when we have full fixtures, we have the full four teams, and maybe even they'll be qualifying in Europe as well. I mean, there's, I think that's what they want. I think that's kind of a deal breaker for those South African teams. They want to play in the real, the top competitions in Europe. So it'll be interesting to see how they'll integrate into that. What do you think, Brandon? I have a really big issue with the South African teams joining mm-hmm. uh, the 14. It's similar, I think, to the Super League in, with the football in Europe. Um, and I think some rugby fans aren't quite clocked onto that, that that's what's going on. They've paid to enter a competition, basically. I know that the Ospreys uh, said that they'd lost £600,000 over the course of the pandemic, and they get £500,000 for agreeing to join the Rainbow Cup. I mean, they're not going to turn that down, but it's very similar to what's happening with the Super League. Um, and I think it's something that does need to be looked at because within the next 10 years, South Africa will be part of the Six Nations. It's just going to happen, mm. unfortunately. Um, but the Rainbow Cup is an absolute mess, absolute shambles. Uh, different clubs are approaching it differently. Munster, I know that Graham Roundtree in his press conference before the game said we're taking it very seriously. And then you've got the other side, you've got the complete other side of the spectrum. You've got Di Young who says, yeah, we're going to rotate, we're going to put players out. And we absolutely smashed them and they were embarrassing. And then you get a great game between the Dragons and the Scarlets. But I don't know. I, I think it's an absolute mess. And as Debbie said, player welfare has just gone out the window. But the bigger concern for me is about CBC, South African teams joining. And them coming into the Champions Cup is just, yeah, may, maybe I'm being a bit of a traditionalist or w- whatever you want to call it. But it's the European Champions Cup. It's not the Global Champions Cup. It's the European Champions Cup, and that's how it should be. And it's just like the Super League in football. And a lot of rugby fans, I don't think, are quite realizing what's going on. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's the age old um, struggle that rugby's always had to have since it went went pro. The union between con- control um, over the game, the unions have always wanted to keep control of the game. But then again, they need the money to bring the sport forward and uh, bring you know as the wages are going up and the demands. Um, are, are going up for the salaries and stuff around the, and the competition gets fiercer for players they need the money so um, if you're going to get in a big sponsorship and keep control it's not always going to happen these people are going to come in and they're going to say well listen we want to do this and I think your point about the Super League is well made because what generally happens is when, for, when investors come in from the outside and wanting to put money in they tend to look at football and see what they've done and say well listen we want that I mean, you look at the last time the Champions Cup changed. We came out, um, the, the format changed, but what else? We got a song. Uh, we got we got um, a, a logo with stars. We, they were like they were making the matches like champions, like Champions League matches. And I think this is what the the, the investors wanted. They said we got multiple sponsors as well. They went for that, and that fell flat because they they went back to Heineken in the end. But um, we're just we're just gonna have to see. Just gonna have to see what happens. That's the constant struggle going behind the scenes. They want the unions all they're, they're fierce and wanting to keep control of the game, keep control of the sport in the in themselves individually. But when it, but when it comes to these, the, the I mean, CVC they released a statement about what they want to do with the game. It's still a bit. I don't know. There's a bit of fine print there. I think we we're, we're gonna have to see down the line. And COVID's making it more difficult again. But um, 
I don't know. It's 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 all kind of up in the air. But I I, I agree with you. It's not uh, it's not ideal. But uh, we're we're just gonna have to see what happens. But uh, Debbie, what just any any final thoughts? Uh, I just thought talking about CVC, a company mm-hmm. doesn't invest seven hundred million and not expect to make a financial return on it. Absolutely, they're not doing it out of their goodness of their heart. And I think rugby has to be very very careful of what it wishes for. Yeah, I, I agree with Brand, and I think it's quite worrying times for the game. Definitely. And David, to wrap up there. I'm glad we had enough to play Saracens. <laughs> oh, it's a lovely day out, though, isn't it? Oh, I've been it's great, but <laughs> yeah. oh my God, if Bennett we love 48 you. points on us, then God, I hate to think what Saracens would have done. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the pro 14, 12, 16, 18, whatever we're up to now, they're always looking for something. They're always going to try and expand. They're always chasing money. <laughs> they have to be very careful with what they do or else they're going to end up with a competition that nobody's going to be bothered with, nobody's going to be interested with and it's going to fall even further behind where it is now. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, it's always, it's a, it's it's an imperfect uh, competition that was born out of necessity more than anything else. And it's just yeah. a question of keeping it together and keeping the interest up equally in all the participating nations. It's just never going to be easy. I mean, you know, now that the, the the term European Super League has become such a bad term at uh, over the last, what's happened over the last couple of weeks, but I think maybe the ideal, maybe a possibility, ideal situation for for European rugby would be to have uh, maybe a league structure for the whole continent that um, once it wasn't ring fenced like that football one was going to be where, um, but, you, but then again, the barrier there is the top 14 in the premiership. Those, those organizations won't, won't probably won't go for that, but um, there's, there's a lot of debates that have had to be done. And, but like, like Debbie said, we just hope the control is kept within the game itself because we can't forget all this talk we're talking about at the top level. This feeds all the way down to grassroots level and you want to keep that. You don't want to, you don't want to too much of a disconnect there either. So the, the, there's, there's, there's a lot to worry about there. Well, listen, I'm going to wrap it up there, folks. Um, Thanks again for coming on. Um, I hope you follow these uh, these great people on Twitter. They're always good for a chat. Uh, put all their links to their accounts in the program notes. And like I said, Brandon has a show, has a, his own YouTube channel as well. Uh, that link is going to be there as well. So please do follow them. So, um, and again, you know, you, you're all great coming on, giving me teams, going right back to December. And uh, David, you came on um, as, a, as, a, as a late call-up substitute uh, this evening. really appreciate that. And we'll definitely have you on again the show in the future. So uh, goodbye. To, I'll, I'll say goodbye to you, Debbie. Thanks again for coming Thank on. Thank you for having me. It's been good fun. Thank Indeed. you. Thank you, Brandon. Very much appreciate it. Best of luck. Pleasure as show. always, mate. And thank you, David. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Cheers, pal. Thank you very much. And we'll, we'll call it there and we'll talk to you all again. Thanks very much for, for being on the show. Thanks again to Debbie, David and Brandon for the chat. And of course, also to Michelle, Ian and Mark for all their contributions in previous pods. So now after 14 podcasts going back to Christmas week, our line selector panel has finally settled on a match day squad for the first test. Just to remind you how the panel works, in each position, the player with the most votes from the six panelists gets the nod. My role is to break ties where they happen and also to use overall votes cast to produce a bench. So here's how it's looking. At 15, Stuart Hogg got three votes. He was unanimous after the first two rounds, but um, it was after a few quietish performances for him. He kind of fell back a bit, but he still makes the team with three votes out of six. At 14, Reese Zamet got uh, three votes for 14, but he also got three votes for 11. So that kind of makes him unanimous and decided to put him in at 14. Number 13, I had to make a call between Jonathan Davis and George North, but unfortunately, as just before I started recording, I found out the news that North actually can't make the tour because of a torn ACL at the weekend, so that's terrible for him. To be honest with you, I was gonna go with Davis anyway because he's more uh, experienced uh, wearing 13, so I was gonna make that call anyway, so he gets uh, jersey number 13. He had just the two votes. Uh, at 12, Robbie Henshaw was unanimous. All six panelists have him wearing 12. There's no surprise there. 11, I was pretty sure Anthony Watson would make the squad, but it turns out uh, Duhan van der Merve got two votes for 11 and one vote for 14. So he makes it at number 11. No no complaints about that either. I just thought uh, Watson was in with a good shout of making making the team, but uh, that's, that's how it's panned out. 
At number 10, uh, it's mad. It, the first round of selections, there was no Dan Bigger even in the framework at all. Um, it was all Russell. It was either Russell, Farrell, and maybe a bit of Sexton. But Dan Bigger has kind of taken over and got three votes in the third round. So he gets the starting 10 jersey for our combined selection. And at number nine, which was a position where when we started, nobody really knew where they were going on it, but we ended up with uh, Connor Murray. Some fine performances in the Six Nations have, have gotten him the nod. A couple of tries, I suppose, at the weekend didn't hurt either, as much as I didn't want to bring that up. But um, anyway, no, he gets the nod unanimously at number nine. Now, into the forwards. Another unanimous pick, Win Jones gets number one. Uh, number two, uh, Luke Cowan-Dickey. He was another one that wasn't really in the mix at the start, but uh, he gets three votes and uh, gets the number two jersey there. Um, unanimous at three, uh, Tyg Furlong. It's interesting to see both props are unanimous there, so we're hoping for a strong front row showing from, from them. Uh, Furlong was probably less of a, a surprise to be to be in there. Uh, number four, uh, Maro Itoje. Ended up with five votes. He kind of, his votes kind of went up and down as the thing progressed because he wasn't playing a lot of top level rugby. But at the end of the day, he, he ended up with five votes from the six panelists. So he gets number four. Number five is our captain, Alan Wynne-Jones. He's again unanimous, unanimous as captain. So no arguments there. Straight in at uh, number five and skipper for the, for the tour. Um, number six. For everything I said in the podcast you just listened to about Tyg Byrne, he actually uh, got four votes of the six panelists, which which kind of proves the theory that he's not just getting Irish votes. Remember, there was of the six panelists, three were Irish, but there was one English, one Scots, one Welsh, and all the Irish didn't go for Byrne either at six. So it's a really consensus opinion from around the four nations that, that he should get in. It's a great achievement for him, seeing how his career is gone. Number seven, Hamish Watson. He would have got my vote as well for seven, but he got four from the panelists, so he's in at um, open side. And finally, eight, another unanimous decision, uh, Toby Falatau. It's no no surprises really there. So that leaves us with the bench, which I sort of used. I For the most part, I went for the runner-up, but because some of the positions were unanimous, I went to previous votes. Uh, sometimes I had to make a call myself, but uh, this is the bench we ended up with anyway. Uh, 16, George. 17, Mako. 18, Sinclair. 19, Ryan. 20, Curry. Uh, 21, again, uh, this was a tricky call, but I applied the principle, if in doubt, go for the Welsh guy. Uh, even there, uh, Reese Webb was in with a shout, but uh, I ended up going for Tomas Williams at 21. 22, Owen Farrell. I was wary putting him at 22. I'm not 100% sure he makes a great number 22. Uh, possibly Russell would be better to come on. Uh, in, in a late stage if you, if you need to make something out of nothing but it was just the way the votes went at, went in the final round Farrell got two votes as opposed to Russell's one so I went with Farrell and finally 23 Liam Williams I think he's the best most versatile person to have in that crucial 23 jersey so that's it um, that's the match day 23 again thanks to all the panelists for taking part and I hope to have hope to have them back on as the tour progresses as for more immediate rugby matters there is of course a big European weekend coming up for Leinster so as always follow me on Twitter at Harpen on Rugby. Hop on the Facebook page after the full time whistle on Sunday to leave your thoughts and stay tuned to harpenandrugby.net all the rest of the time for our regular features. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Slan.